Sing out the jubilee with all the fire we can breathe. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about narcissistic moms. That is a very specific thing to be thinking about. Well, I don't want to be one. Oh, okay, fair. So to in order to not become one, I need to know what they are and how they are what they are. So I started to do some digging about just the, the general term narcissist and what it means and how someone becomes a narcissist. Not necessarily like the niche application of moms, but like what a narcissist is. Yeah, I think that's a perennial fascination. That's something Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew used to talk about on Loveline, doing the test to see like how many narcissist points you get. But we're all narcissists now. The selfie, if you think about it, there is some long think piece about this like years ago. I just, I go back to, but it's like the selfie is so vain if you even think about it. Yeah. How many people really care to look at your face? I'm going to take this photo of myself and post it online and get likes. And then every time I open my social media app, I'll get a dopamine hit because people are like affirming the way that my face looks. I think that works more for you than me. I bet if you posted a selfie, people would like it. I didn't mean it in that way. I just meant women probably find more success posting selfies than dudes. So to be a narcissist, I saw a child psychologist talk about it. And it's basically, I thought this was fascinating. And now I have all these new anxieties as a mom now that I know about it because he said that a narcissist is developed during childhood trauma. And it's when the parent doesn't meet the child's needs. And so the child is upset and needs his parent to calm him down. And he starts with fussing, and the parent doesn't come. This is for an infant. This is for an infant, yeah, a baby. So the baby starts fussing, and the parent doesn't come. And then the infant starts crying, and the parent doesn't respond. And then the infant starts screaming, and the parent doesn't respond. And he's screaming, and he's screaming, and he goes on, and he goes on, and he goes on. And then eventually it's like the Russian babies or whatever that old scary tale is. Yeah, Romanian. The Russian, Romanian. Mm-hmm. The baby gets quiet because he realizes no one's coming to help him. And so what he has done in that example is that he has soothed himself. He said, okay, no one is going to regulate me for me, so I must regulate myself. And so then that puts the child on this path of like self-absorption and self-centeredness and therefore he's only focused on himself and he says i'm the best person to meet my needs because i'm the only one who's ever met my needs okay and so it all becomes about you and it's sort of ironic because when you think of a narcissist you think well they're just like selfish but really it was because in most cases no one cared about them Dang. And is that only at night or was that any time the infant had a problem? Okay, I don't... This TikTok explanation wasn't that specific. It immediately makes me think of like sleep training. Because if you're trying to get a kid to learn how to sleep... There are some crunchy moms who would say that you're damaging your child psychologically when you do sleep training. Now, there's a range of sleep training. There's the pop-ins or like the Ferber method where you do like you go in every few minutes and you say, hey, I'm here but it's time to go to sleep. And yeah, they cry in between then. Yeah, but I think to go back to the Romanian kids you mentioned, I don't think anybody ever touched them. And then they were psychologically scarred forever. And this was like an ongoing thing past infanthood too. Right. It makes me think of this other example I saw. It was like a cry box. And it was from the 50s or the 60s or something. Yeah. And it was like this soundproof box that parents would put their babies in at night so they couldn't hear them cry. Yeah, so to go to your TikTok example, is that why everyone's a narcissist? They were put in a cry box. Well, I don't think this was like a super popular phenomenon. I think this okay. was like a like a elite thing. So anyways, the narcissist is born out of necessary self-centeredness. And so then in the context of narcissist moms, now this is not, I did not look this up. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I have no credentials here. But I was just thinking about the idea that no one's coming for you. Yeah. Moms have talked about having that moment a lot before when you're at home and you're taking care of the kids and there's chaos ensuing and you're sleep deprived and you're hungry and you're sweaty and you're tired and the kids are too. And like right before you freak out, you realize no one's coming for you. That's up to you. There's no one coming to save you. 
you have to figure this out. You have to like nose to the grindstone, bite the bullet and figure it out because you're the mom. They're looking to you to restore that order in that moment. Which I don't think that's a healthy scenario. I don't think that we should be so alone. But like, I think at some point, though, that is inevitable. Like, that's going to happen. And so I think maybe narcissist mothers are born out of that repeated scenario. Like, moms are so alone for so many years and they don't have any help. No one is showing them empathy and no one is coming beside them and saying, hey, let me help you. Like, hey, I see that you're struggling. I'll lend you a hand. And so like the baby whose needs were never met, the mom's needs were never met. And so as an adult, she developed these narcissistic tendencies. Oh, I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like the infant, in your case, the husband or the mom or the grandma, no one ever showed up. Yeah. And so you learned how to cope with chaos, not you, but the woman in this case. And that leads to self-centeredness. And it's like years of built up resentment. And the self-centeredness was born out of necessity. Like there was no one was coming to help her. And so I'm not justifying narcissist moms, but it's such like a widespread phenomenon that I have to think, why is this so? I've experienced those moments. And so that's my going theory. Not sure how this is going to piece into wherever I paste it, but welcome to episode three of the Free State Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the new documentary, Died Suddenly. Yeah, my mom was like, oh, I watched Died Suddenly the other night. It might have premiered on like November 21st, but the big drop was on Monday. How did you find it to watch? Was it on Twitter, like embedded? No, it was on their website. It was like... I think it's diedsuddenly.info, and they had their link to their Rumble page. That's what we watched. What is Rumble? It's a conservative YouTube competitor. And then we're also going to talk about just a little bit Balenciaga. Yes. And the angle that, how it matters culturally, the trickle-down effect of fashion. And then also the Supreme Court case that was in that photo shoot as like an Easter egg. Yeah, with the ruling on... Congress's child porn ban meant and why it might be in the photo shoot. If this is your first time listening, thanks for giving us a shot. According to the internet, three episodes makes this a real show, and we appreciate you sticking with us as we figure out exactly what we're doing and experiment with format and whatnot. We'd like to incorporate audience feedback as part of our regular programming. If you want to get in touch with us, probably the easiest way is our email address, and that's freestatepod at gmail.com. But we're publishing this using Spotify's anchor.fm platform, and you can find our show at anchor.fm slash freestate. And while you're there, you can leave us an audio message, and we can engage with you directly if you want to be on the show that way. Enjoy! So which one do you want to talk about first? Do you want to do Died Suddenly or Balenciaga? Really, like, non-controversial. I'm trying to... Take everyone's advice and begin with the end in mind. Do I want people to leave our show with child porn porn or COVID fears? Mm. I don't think people listen to this as they're going to bed. So we could, let's do died suddenly first. Okay. That's the one I wanted to do first. All right. You liked it. I didn't. Am I right? You didn't like it? No. Oh, you're so snooty. You said this thing at the beginning when we were watching it. You're like, I guess you never watched those Alex Jones videos or whatever. <laughs> I said it like that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The opening scenes looked like those old, I don't even remember what they were called. The old original documentaries Alex Jones used to put out. I don't even think they were called Infowars. I think it was like Prison Planet. They were all about the Bilderberg group and 9-11 and Bush. Oh, I'm into it. I thought it was fun. You're into Alex Jones Given or your parents? We should have been like high. Oh, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a lot scarier. So that was the other thing that stood out. Okay, to we'll me. get into this. But like Alex okay. Jones was right about some things. Like before you go full on hater, the frogs are gay. The frogs are gay. And of course, we're not talking about Sandy Hook. This is like decades before he made his name like going in, infiltrating the Bohemian Grove and watching elites wear weird robes and pretend to sacrifice babies to Moloch like okay but which they do right what is super weird so that's fine but then he says weird stuff about space dragons and 9-11 and I don't go that far 
Yeah, but he was right about the robes and the frogs. Okay. And so I think that's an instructive lesson for when we're analyzing Died Suddenly, which is a new documentary that came out yesterday. Yeah. I don't know much about the guy that started it, but from what the movie told me, he has a sub stack with like millions of followers. Oh, so that's not the guy that created the movie. He oh. was just one of the people they interviewed. Oh. So the guy that's who... Stephen cr- Kirsch. The guy you're talking about, the yeah. entrepreneur, yeah. The guy who did the movie was a dude who had a podcast and got kicked Sounds off right. of Spotify <laughs> for covid misinformation okay but let's keep in mind that joe rogan almost got kicked off of Spotify. yeah but he didn't yeah but that's like joe rogan yeah but i don't think it was just because he had a big audience this guy did too and now he has his own platform you're not joe rogan the fact that we can't think of his name means that he's not a joe rogan i think it was Stu peters or something like that i thought he was a fox news guy no let me look it up i'm looking on imdb you're probably gonna have to duck duck go it right that's what i'm realizing because google's just showing me all the people that hate it so while you look it up we didn't really explain died suddenly was like it was like about an hour a little over an hour long documentary that was explaining why people who have taken the covid vaccine have died suddenly so that's the question the argument the movie's making is that people because of the covid19 vaccine yeah people are dying suddenly Mm-hmm. And so that's the debate. And the guy who created it is a guy named Stu Peters. He had a podcast on Spotify, got kicked off for quote unquote COVID misinformation. He calls COVID a bioweapon. Or not COVID. Just... No, not COVID. COVID 19 vaccines. Oh. Or a bioweapon. That's he says. a little different. Okay. Right. So, so that's let's... the perspective going into the movie. So you said I had a bad attitude. I called it Alex Jones, but that was. Kind of the feel. Do you want to set it up more? No, go ahead. So they're painting a picture. They're saying, hey, there's something going on with these vaccines. A bunch of people have had them, and all of a sudden, these people are dying suddenly. What's going on? Well, the very first thing they go to when they're starting to paint this picture of, oh my gosh, how did we get here? What's going on? Is they put up this talk from Bill Gates, and he's talking about Malthusian ideas saying, oh, as the population of the world increases, we're going to be fighting over resources, and eventually people are going to starve, so we have to find a way to reduce the global population so we're not competing for those resources. I had never heard of that philosopher or whatever he was. Oh, Thomas Malthus. Yeah, how do you? Yeah. He was one of the guys based on, well, this is why you should care about comic book movies. Thanos from the Avengers was based on that idea. He was like, oh no, the universe is too populated. I'm going to kill half of everybody so that we all survive. This guy was like IRL Thanos. Yeah. I mean, he didn't kill people, but his idea was we have to figure out a way to manage our population or we're all going to starve. I wonder if he was married with kids. I don't know that much, but... It seems really like incel vibes, that's all. (laughs) The thing that proved him wrong was capitalism. We innovated our way out of the problem. It's funny how that works. Figured out how to feed everybody. Mostly GMOs. Yeah, mostly GMOs. But it's a perennial concern that comes up in various forms every few years. So back in the 70s, there was a debate between Paul Ehrlich and Julian Simon. They made a bet saying, oh... We're going to have these few empirical factors. And Paul Ehrlich was saying, oh, with this overpopulation problem, all of these factors are going to get worse. And Julian Simon said, nah, the market will fix it. And Julian Simon won on all of them. And the population kept going up. I have a really hard time buying into this particular fear-mongering campaign. And what is it? Thunberg, what's her name? Greta. Greta Thunberg, that poor... dare you yeah that poor girl she just needs a boyfriend and like some colorful lip gloss she's saying the world is gonna end in like what is it nine years now yeah it was like 12 years Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago i don't know and we haven't done anything i guess covid reduced emissions for a year so i can't buy into this talking point because i know that i'm gonna sound like a climate change denier but it was what was it global warming and then it was global cooling, global then global cooling, warming. global warming, and then climate change. Like, obviously, things are changing in the world. There's definitely like the climate is changing. I went to Italy several years ago, and you can see where the water levels have risen. That's clearly happening. 
how much of that is driven by natural change versus anthropologic influence. I'm not so sure. But I just I can't buy into the like the whole like impending doom aspect of it. One of my favorite movies in high school was that was the movie 2012. Oh, yeah. I really like that one. I thought the guy was kind of hot. Sure. I haven't seen that. Okay, we can watch it. We can have like a little throwback night. All right. We'll watch Silence of the Lambs too. To get back to what the documentary opens, and it's probably not the first scene, but the first thing that stuck out to me was this clip of Bill Gates talking about how to keep the planet sustainable, we're going to have to reduce global population by like 15%. And he gives a list of things he would like to do to achieve that goal. And among them, he said, have better vaccines and better health care. And so it immediately cuts him off right there and goes to this guy who's an embalmer. They spoke with several embalmers and they spoke with a funeral director. But it cuts to this guy who says, well, he said it. You heard him. He said it. The vaccines are going to kill people. He's going to kill people with vaccines. That's not what Bill Gates said. Rude. And even in the movie. He wasn't even that Southern. Even in the movie. He's just fat. They play... Well, yeah, right. So I was going to say he should be more worried about his fork than the COVID-19 vaccine. So mean. But they go back to that same talk Bill Gates gave, and he was talking about how when people have better health care, they make the decision to have fewer kids. And so he wasn't saying that he's going to create a vaccine to kill people. He was saying that vaccinated people will have fewer children. Why is that? Yeah, that didn't make sense to me just given those two little snips from the movie and I looked it up. His argument is that mothers who don't know that their kids are going to live into adulthood have more so that there's a better chance that some of them do. But if they know that their kids are going to survive, as long as they have access to abortion, the argument is that they'll have fewer kids. I don't know one woman who thinks like that. I don't either. But So the going theory online, don't be naive, is that it's that these vaccines are going to sterilize people. Like there's this going theory that Bill Gates is trying to develop a vaccine to sterilize people. Yeah, I've seen that elsewhere. That wasn't in Died Suddenly. But his argument is that with more affluence and better health care, people will have smaller families because they're not dependent on... That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, his argument is that they play the roulette game of, oh, well, I better have a bunch so that there's a chance that some might make it if a bunch of them are going to die without access to these vaccines and other health care. That sounds like someone... Does he have kids, Bill Gates? I think he does. Okay. I he definitely he does. doesn't love them. <laughs> well, yeah. I think famously, I think it was him. He's not leaving them any of his fortune. I think that's true. Yeah, because he thinks that they're destroying the world. Yeah, fair. These, I don't know, what do you call them? Overpopulation people yeah, are people... some of the most cold-hearted, unhappy individuals I have ever met. Sure. Like, when the SNL actors are saying, oh, we can make fun of Republicans, but we can't make fun of Democrats because they have absolutely zero sense of humor. Those are the kind of Karens that they're talking about. These people who take themselves so freaking seriously. But it's beyond that. They're tyrants. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same people who get hysterectomies for the climate, right? They Ugh. say, yeah, that's a thing. But they weren't. They're not climate first they're just like sad right like it's sad not actually first. about I'm, that thing. yeah if you had hope you'd be having a family with kids what was that book i read about the world where children of man children of man mm-hmm. yeah and in that book nobody can have kids anymore and so it's talking about it's been like 30 years and no one can have children and people have lost such hope that it's just dystopian doom and some women are so sick in the head because they want and have wanted a child so badly that they push around dolls and carts and they're oh, that's terrible i mean they've lost their minds and if they're not cats or if they're i'm sorry if they're, <laughs> they're and, cats now and if they're not dolls then they're cats yeah and i'm like well we are not too far from that the main takeaway from that part of the book was that with no children there was no hope for the future and with no hope for the future people have no reason to be productive in their day-to-day because why is it that we do what we do to have a better future and even people without children do this for their own for the sake of their own future you know 20 years from now they want to retire happy on a beach somewhere then there are people with children who do it for the sake of their legacy and to leave their children something better than what they had But I think even people who don't have kids were honest with themselves. They have a 
they have hope for the lifetimes beyond themselves. Yeah, otherwise, why bother? And that requires children. That requires new generation and replenishing our population. It's just weird because we don't talk like that in school or in culture as much. What, to like emphasize the importance of family? Yeah, but I mean, not even in that weird cliche kind of sounding way. Just or Cliche is probably the wrong word, but that cloying, like, oh, family's important. Of course it is. But even just saying that feels forced to me. I don't know how to make it feel like an urgent need. And the only times I've really felt it, not just assented to it intellectually, has been in church. So in the context of, oh, people were created to do this thing because there was a design for how we're supposed to be the best versions of ourselves. If you want that feeling even more urgently and like despairingly placed on you, go to a nursing home in the Alzheimer's ward. I remember volunteering with my grandma when I was younger in one of these wards. And it definitely is like the circle of life. Like these people are pooping their pants and they can't take care of themselves. And they're like children and they go where they're not supposed to and touch people they're not supposed to. And, you know, because they're losing their minds. They're old yeah. and they can't take care of themselves. And instead of being taken care of by their family, they're being taken care of by a stranger. And it's the most sterile environment. And they're sad. Yeah. And... You and I have talked about this a lot before, though, too. Like, when we get old, I would rather, when I'm 90 years old, get COVID and die of COVID than be in a nursing home in some sterile medical environment and live until I'm a 103-year-old potato sack yeah. of flesh. Because I've, oh, I've been shielded. I've been protected from disease, but I've not been able to hold my great-grandchildren, and I've not been able to take a walk outside by myself or just have any agency whatsoever. And it's not... What kind of life is that? That's true. And even though these people are losing their minds, they're still aware that they're stuck in that kind of environment and it's horrible. It's prison. And it's hard. You're bringing this up in the context when people are arguing about Canada's euthanasia law. Oh, yeah. So Canada said, what was it that people can now electively choose to kill themselves? Yeah, if they have some kind of terminal illness. It was so. beyond that, though, wasn't it? It was even if they're feeling depressed or sad. They've recently expanded what qualifies for their assisted suicide law. Yeah, that seems wrong too. So if it's just a hard place we've put ourselves in by thinking you can farm off the older generation, you're not solving the problem. I think they're both morally evil. And so we've got to figure out a way to reintegrate these people in society. And I know probably it was a benign reason. And it, well, okay. As I say it, it's not benign. People probably stopped talking about it for what they thought was a noble reason, because when you start talking about hope, the conversation turns sectarian very fast, and you start talking about God. And if there's a God and he's a lawgiver, then you have to do what he says. Isn't it in R.C. Sproul's book, The Five Points of Calvinism, in the beginning, there's like that chart. And it's like, we do mm -hmm. education totally wrong. We say there's these certain silos of education, you know, physical science, mathematics, social sciences, then theology. But actually, theology is at the top. And those other topics branch from theology because theology is everything. Theology is. Yeah, it informs everything. And if you cut that off, you're only looking at a part. We wouldn't have bugs else. if not for God. We wouldn't have food if not for God. We wouldn't have all of these things if not for God. So God is presupposes all of these things. Yeah, I hesitated because I had flashbacks to grad school and reading Aristotle, and he says politics is the architectonic science, meaning the one that controls everything else, because in his definition, politics is debating about how to live together well. Mm -hmm. But in order to know how to do that, you have to know what well is and what good and bad right. are, and that comes from God back to the documentary yeah we should get back to vaccines <laughs> so i just bring up that opening vignette and the response to bill gates is it put me in a bad frame of mind to then watch the rest of the movie because if they took that out of context and it was obvious to me off the bat i was worried about the stuff that i didn't know anything about that they were going to tell me so what did you like about it or just what was your what did you learn from the movie let's just pause though bill gates still said 
it's important for us to figure out a way to slow population growth. So then they move into talking with these different people who work in funeral homes and prepare bodies for Mm -hmm. burial. Yeah, and they started talking about, there was several embalmers talking about the white clots, the white fibrous clots that they started finding in people after January 2021, which is when the first vaccine rolled out. Yeah. And these white fibrous clots were clotting people's veins, right? That's what they're talking about, obstructions in people's veins and arteries that they're pulling out. And one of the things that they said in the movie was that there are short-term deaths and there are long-term deaths. And the short-term deaths came within like five months of getting the vaccine. And the longer-term deaths came after that, but they're not so well-tracked. Yeah, because there's no clear connection between getting the vaccine and dying. But one of the um, embalmers said that his busiest month to date was January 2021. Like right after? Like right after the vaccine. One thing I want to say right off the top that's just going to be a common theme so we don't talk past each other it's one thing to say these vaccines hurt people and then it's another thing to say these vaccines were intentionally designed to hurt people so i never assume malice and when you're talking about politics because people in charge fundamentally are bad at their jobs like they have just failed up into federal office I don't think lawmakers are coordinated or intelligent enough to pull some big scandal off. So I always assume incompetence before malice. And so when I went into this movie, when I finished the movie, I was not convinced of malice, but I was definitely like reaffirmed of incompetence when it came to the vaccines. The documentary is definitely from the perspective out the gate that it was malice. That it was was, designed. Yeah, the vaccine is a bioweapon. Yeah. And I remain skeptical. So before we started recording, I looked up different reviews to see if people had talked about some of the claims, because especially the stuff with the blood clots, I have no idea what the regular rate of blood clotting is. I don't know what they look like or anything. I have some experience with people who have had blood clots before, but apparently it is pretty common to have embolisms of different kinds. But these weren't normal blood clots. So the embalmers were saying. They had never seen the these white fibrous things before. That's the claim. And so before we started recording, I looked up that specific argument because apparently people have been making it before this movie. And I know one of the major questions surrounding COVID-19 is what sources you can trust. But everything I was able to find said that's normal. The white fibrous things yep and that there are differences between clotting that happens before death and after death and they're going to look different because the blood has sifted and changed pre and post-mortem so all of these embalmers were just lying not lying just they're not doctors and they didn't know what they were seeing they're used to preparing bodies for burial not diagnosing medical problems but they've been doing it for decades yeah so they noticed a change the people skeptical of the documentary was that those kinds of clots can be caused by refrigeration and since there was such an increase in death around that time there was a backlog in processing those bodies and that the refrigeration process could have caused those clots and there's no way to know and they also said COVID-19 itself causes clots and so there's no way to know whether it was the vaccine or the virus that caused it, on top of the fact that the embalmers themselves didn't know whether the cadavers they were processing were actually vaccinated or not. The refrigeration point's an interesting one. And I don't know any of it. But it doesn't explain the died suddenly. Like, it doesn't explain, because, you know, they were, like, Googling died suddenly, and, like, so many young people, fitness gurus. A fitness guru just two days ago was, what, 53, super fit, died suddenly. That... Also happens, though, there was one of the best critical reviews of the movie that I read said, I did what it said. I went to Google and I typed in died suddenly in the year 2010 and I got tons of hits. So there's this thing where it's like if you're looking at it, it becomes exactly it seems bigger than it ever has before because you're looking at it. Yeah, I forget what 
that psychological term is, but what, it's not confirmation bias, but when you're looking for something, it tends to appear. Like when you buy a brown RAV4, you see them everywhere. But this critic of the movie was saying, yeah, I typed in, died suddenly in 2010, and oh my gosh, I had page after page of Google results, including Joseph Gordon-Levitt's brother died suddenly at 36 with no other health problems, but that was 10 years before the vaccine, so I don't know what's going on. One thing that they didn't dive into, which I wish they would have, was if they had back, you know, if they had reverse engineered when they found a person with these white clots, did they go back and see if they were a person who had died suddenly, if that was like the official diagnosis? And then did they go and see if they had been vaccinated and when? Like, I wish there would have been kind of like a trail of connecting the dots because otherwise this is all what ifs. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, because in the very beginning, they showed a spreadsheet where one of the embalmers was trying to track that information, but it wasn't available. And so he was giving them either like a green or orange or whatever rating based on whether he thought they were vaccinated or had other comorbidities. And I don't think, well, embalmers, that's different than getting an autopsy. I don't know that they're authorized or even trained to make like medical declarations. For the most part, no. Right. And there were some critics of the movie who have even reached out to some of the embalmers in the film and they admitted, no, they might have a bachelor's degree in natural science or something like that, but nothing that would teach them enough to be able to diagnose things like that. I don't know. That really factors very little in for me. I don't care so much about credentials. Well, sure. We saw during COVID that that is a bunch of BS. But if they're claiming something, you would hope they would be able to at least articulate the basis for it. So it makes sense if they're processing dead bodies all the time and then this factor changes a bunch of people get this new vaccine and then they see something completely different. That seems compelling to me, but then I don't know why there are a bunch of other sources saying, no, that's normal. So someone's lying or they're talking past each other and I don't know how to weigh that out. So this is a good time to bring up this other part. If you're going to watch the movie, don't do it while you're eating. Yeah, it's really gross. Like Laura doesn't do well with blood. She watched Game of Thrones, but you closed your eyes a lot. Yeah, and that was like sexy blood because it was Jason Momoa. And Although I'm over Jason Momoa, I have exited that phase. Oh, he's too woke? Oh, no, it's nothing to do with his brain whatsoever. It's just, (laughs) it's too, too obvious. Okay. It's like the Thor versus Loki thing that we've mm. talked about before. Like mm-hmm. I used to think in my in my adolescence, I used to think that Thor was the ideal like peak male physique yeah. that I was supposed to desire. And so I did. Mm-hmm. But then I like got a little older and I started to value wit and intellect a little bit more. And so then suddenly like Loki was kind of like, oh, and then, you know, those movies kind of aged with me and so then the Loki movie came out and I was like, yes, that is it. He knows how to wear a suit. Yes. <laughs> this movie was disgusting and I think they relied on the shock value of watching these embalmers cut up dead bodies and pull out these blood clots to try and override some of your rational faculties. And maybe that that's sense. me being conspiratorial, but I think it was powerful in the moment to get you to just go, oh, gross, stop that. And then maybe you're more open to their argument. But they had other people in the documentary other than just like some random embalmers. There was the woman who was a doctor for the army. Yeah, a whistleblower. Yeah. And she was saying she had seen an increase in miscarriages and strokes and aneurysms and a bunch of other things among service members after they were forced to get the shot. Yeah, young, healthy guys, yeah. Right, she was saying, I don't know if we're going to have a standing army in five years. Yeah, so she also believes the vaccine is a bioweapon meant to make America weak. Yeah, I guess that would have been another thing to improve the documentary is that they should have had people who don't believe that part but say this vaccine was definitely medically dangerous or experimental. But I think we won't have a standing army in five years. I've already seen reports because our recruiting levels are just shot. People don't want to join the military, not because of the vaccine, but because they don't trust the American Defense Department, the Pentagon. Oh, and not only that, I wish it was more of that. It's actually tied to obesity. Right, yeah, and they're all too fat to pass the PT. And that goes back to what we were talking about with the clots. The other argument besides refrigeration was that's caused by obesity and diabetes. I don't know if people should be more worried about the vaccine or about their spoons. 
One other thing that's on my notes to talk about is in regards to like the depopulation theory says, tell the story about DC doctor trying to sterilize us. I posted this on Instagram one time and people really got a kick out of it. When we were still living in DC, I was about to give birth to our first and the doctor who definitely was Chinese. Yeah. It matters for the rest of the story. So the Chinese doctor was like, woman was asking, and this is routine before you have a child, they ask you, what are your plans for birth control postpartum so that you don't have kids back to back to back? And I assume since I was 24 years old in Washington, D.C., that they they guessed that my pregnancy was unplanned because nobody gets pregnant at the age of 24 in Washington, D.C. They're too busy pursuing their career. Right. So I was at least a decade behind of other first time moms in the area. So she was like, surely this was a mistake. So what is your plan for after you give birth to not have another one? And she goes, we could do an elective C-section if you want, and then just put in a 10-year IUD while we're at it. And I looked at you and I was like, no. And then she said, we could give you, we could prescribe you the birth control pill. And I said, I've already done that. And that's going to be a hard pass. And then when she realized that she wasn't going to get anything out of me other than like condoms, she turns to look at you and she goes, well, what about you? Do you want a vasectomy? Yeah, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> So if I can't sterilize her, maybe I can sterilize him. It's his fault. And yeah. then and you said no, and then she looks at us and like kind of condescendingly smirks and like tilts her head. And she goes, huh, okay. So how many kids do you guys want? And her eyes this country bumpkin from Kansas. And I was like, I don't know. We've talked about four. Four. Wow. Could not believe it. We barely walked out of there with all of our parts. We didn't end up in a back alley in a ice chest. Barely. Going back to Died Suddenly, they have this montage in the middle. So there's a bunch of scenes of cutting up people and pulling out these clots. But then they have back to back to back images of what is purportedly people dying suddenly. And they all look very similar. They start having tremors and they fall over. They spin in a circle well, it turns out some of those videos were taken before the vaccine was out, and some of those people are still alive, including one they showed of a basketball player. It's a high school basketball player at a game. He collapses. He just signed on at K-State. Okay. So if they wanted to make their point, they should have said, oh, look at all of these people that we know were vaccinated, which they did not. It was just implied. And look at them all dying, and they didn't. Yeah, the other thing was like they had all these very moving animated graphs and, you know, with like the dark music behind it. But there was no I was looking for like citations. I was like, wait, they're talking about this data, but where is it coming from? And it turns out a lot of the data they used was from VAERS, which is fine. But it's no, but it goes back to that thing. If you're looking at it, I thought about the horrible example because I had this thought too when they were talking about VAERS. I said specifically the miscarriage reporting. Now, I did not get vaccinated and I was pregnant at the time. Yeah. I would not have gotten vaccinated if I wasn't pregnant, but I especially would not have gotten vaccinated while pregnant. Even though everyone said you should. Right. Because ain't no way I'm taking an experimental vaccine at the risk of my baby or my future baby or whatever. Yeah. Now... If you had taken the vaccine and then you had had a miscarriage and you were trying to cope with that, maybe you convince yourself that it was the vaccine, whether it was or it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Maybe you go on bears and you report it oh, I to see. help you, yeah. you know, cope with the guilt. Right. It can ascribe a reason. Yeah, it was still you accepting it, but they told you to. It gives right. you one layer of yeah. removal from it. It yeah. gives you an out. Yeah. Because I imagine when you have a miscarriage you can fall into a terrible bout of guilt and feel like it's your, I did something to cause this. Yeah. But maybe if you feel that way and you report it, it said, well, you know what? It was your fault. You're the one who made this and made me get it. And yeah. so I think maybe you're seeing that and that skews the numbers and it wasn't necessarily the vaccine. Well, right. But I am definitely still willing to be convinced that it, the vaccine did hurt pregnancies. Yeah, the point is just the movie does not establish that. And they brought on a guy who is purportedly an expert at OB, does high-risk pregnancies, and he said he saw a huge spike in stillbirths and miscarriages after 
people started getting the vaccine. And he cited a specific place in Canada that had some giant increase. And this is some of the graphs Laura's talking about, some increase in stillbirths. Well, it turns out that hospital in that town contradicts everything that he said. And so I don't know who to believe. He's using the VAERS data, but they have data for all of their pregnancies, not just the self-reported miscarriages. And they said there was no change in the average annual stillbirth rate. There hasn't been any variation. And then there was another lady on Twitter who was mad about (laughs) the movie. And she said, because another claim was that there was a bunch of sudden heart attacks following the vaccine. She said there was a spike in 2020 and that number increased more in 2021. But you can't tell whether that's because of COVID or because of the vaccine. There's no way to tease it out. Or maybe also because people had those voluntary surgeries delayed exactly. during the pandemic and maybe they had like a bypass schedule. And they were something. fatter and sadder. One other thing of the movie was the insert packet. Like the so there's like a vaccine insert in all vaccines, mm-hmm. which crunchy anti vax moms talk about a lot. And it has all the ingredients listed on it and like warnings, etc. And the insert for the COVID-19 vaccine was, there was nothing on it, and it said intentionally blank. Apparently, that's just in the manufactured product, but all of those ingredients are available online. It seems to be a glaring contradiction. They said if you knew what was in the vaccine, you wouldn't take it, but then they never said what was in it. Yeah, right, because other anti-vax people say, oh, there's mercury, there's formaldehyde, they're turning the frogs. But yeah, they didn't even say, they just... Assume that if you've made it this far into the movie, you're not going to get the vaccine and that you don't want to die. Now, there is mercury and formaldehyde and other routine. Okay, but they didn't say yeah. anything. They didn't even right. say that. Right. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the movie? I think it relied too much on look at images of people dying and getting cut up more than saying, hey, look, this is scary. You shouldn't get this vaccine for x reason there was one thing i wanted to mention so before we actually turned on the movie i had just finished reading an article i downloaded this app recently Newsbreak. have you heard of it no it's apparently like this app that just aggregates local news oh that's cool so like for lawrence or kansas but they supplement their feed with national news and they have contributors and it's mm-hmm. really just generic softball local news stuff oh. but i saw an article on there right before we turned the movie on that was covering a national study about vaccine-linked deaths. Okay. And this is like a legitimate article, a legitimate study. The author's conclusion was, yes, some people died because of the vaccine, but not that many. And the article goes into why they died. And it was like there were 53 subjects. Two of them died because of a definitive link between pericarditis and what's the other one? Myocarditis. Myocarditis definitely linked to the vaccine and then a bunch of undiagnosed causes of death and they can't necessarily link it to vaccines but it made me zoom out to the 30,000 degree level and look at this and say you and I were crazy for once saying that the vaccine did not stop transmission oh yeah and that was the part of the movie I liked (laughs) no I need a cough drop I'm about to pop off hold on but now we can have Legit journalists publish pieces saying like, yes, the vaccine did kill people, but it just, it wasn't that many, so don't look at it. Like we have gone that far in such a short time. Yeah, that's a good point. And even the critics of the movie were saying, yes, in rare cases, there have been pericarditis and myocarditis in young men, but it's extremely rare and the CDC admitted that. So why is the documentary going out of its way to say all these people are dying when even the experts who are pushing the vaccine are saying, yes, in extremely rare cases, there could be complications. And we're not even recommending the Johnson & Johnson vaccine anymore because four people out of a million got blood clots. It's also extremely rare for children to die of a COVID-19 infection. That is why I'm not vaccinated. So why are we giving children these vaccines that may be more likely to give them myocarditis I agree. And to prevent severe illness, almost definitively so, because at this rate, they're not even effective at preventing transmission, not transmission, infection. Right. And so if the movie had been about that, 
in people debating that question. I think it would have been a lot more effective or at least more plausible. I hate talking about vaccines, not because I'm not open to like a very heated political debate. Obviously, like I get off on it, but it feels like it has to be either the vaccine was a bioweapon that was designed to sterilize people and if not sterilize them, kill them with white fibrous monsters in their veins or god daddy pfizer and moderna are here to save us all from the bat virus yeah because it's not the wuhan flu it's the bat virus right that just you know emerged from the forest right somewhere definitely not in china though we love china one other thing along those lines i have written down is like why are pro-vaxxers not willing to admit that they were wrong and i think of this in the context of at the beginning of the pandemic we were the ones washing our groceries. Yeah. And I say we in the context of like... Our nuclear I family. believe that this came from a lab. I did not get vaccinated. And most people made hysteria out of nothing. But like when this first emerged, we were watching the news still then. You know, the trend is the same. We were paying attention when others weren't. And there were these reports about the infection, about the virus. Yeah, they thought it lived on surfaces. And we're like geez, this is coming over to America. This is like not good. People are dying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mom had just had a heart attack and we were living with them at the time because things were really crazy. And so we were washing our groceries. I was wearing an N95 when no one else was at the grocery store. Yeah. But then we saw over the course of time information come out and we realized that the virus wasn't so serious. And so we started to get together with our friends who were willing and we started to not wear a mask and then we're like, well, we don't need to get vaccinated. It's an, by the way, we're trying to get pregnant. It's an experimental vaccine. And so as the information changed, so did our behavior. Yeah. But there is this group of people that seem so unwilling to just be like, I was wrong. Yeah. I think they're still <laughs> trying to be experts. There was Catherine Mengi Ward and Matt Welch were praising Emily Oster's pandemic amnesty article just yesterday on their podcast. It's so much easier, though, to say, and I'm saying, like, I was wrong to wear a mask at the beginning. I thought that it was this thing, but it wasn't. It's so much easier to just be like, oh, I have new information. I'm going to operate accordingly. Right, and I have no problem saying I don't know anything about medicine at all. I'm just going by what I've observed and what I've seen, and that seems to be serving us well so far. We've both had COVID, and it's been fine. The one thing I did appreciate about the Died Suddenly documentary was a montage of news clips of people saying, oh, you should get vaccinated. It's not about you. It'll stop transmission. Yeah, and so you that's won't what, be killing grandma. Yeah, that's what I wish people were more willing to admit they were wrong about. Because even now, I think Dr. Fauci said again that the risk is from the unvaccinated. And it was ambiguous whether he meant transmission or just those were the people who would be at risk of dying from the infection. And that particular point is what damaged so many relationships. Yeah. Was saying, well, you can't come around me. You can't come around my baby. You can't come around grandma if you're not vaccinated. Right. Because you're going to kill them. And there was no way that a normal person can independently know whether that's true when the people that we depend on to tell us the truth about these matters but are all saying the same thing. it's more than that. It's more than that, though, because those people that those people did trust for their information at that point, at a certain point, were saying, oh, actually, it doesn't prevent transmission. So it's all just up in the air. It's all, you know, everyone's a risk. And yeah. even after that, people still continued right. to segregate the people they had relationships with. Let's talk about Balenciaga. I didn't know what Balenciaga was when this story broke. Okay. Well, that's because you're the kind of guy who talks about, what did you mention earlier? Comic book movies? You were the one who talked about Thor and Loki. Right. I brought up Thanos. I was trying to keep with the theme. Okay. Okay. Balenciaga, the fashion brand, published a photo shoot of their new bags that are like BDSM-themed teddy bear bags. Well, the bags are BDSM-themed or the photos were? No, the bags are. Oh. The bags are like teddy bears like tied up in fake leather. One of the comical things about this photo shoot is like, those bags are made for adults. 
Like, what kind of adult do you just, like, casually see walking in a grocery store? I guess maybe that's not where you take your Balenciaga bag, but where do you wear that bag? Like, <laughs> where the hell are you? What are you doing? This, These are the questions. So, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So then they have a photo shoot. And one of the most disturbing photos was the child model was a little girl. And she had the bags. And she was laying on a couch on her stomach with one of the bags. And her head was on a pillow. And it was very suggestive in all the wrong ways. Anyway, so everybody talked about this photo shoot. But the reason that it went viral was because there was some Supreme Court case Easter egg in the photo shoot that talked about child porn. And we're going to get into that in a moment. After the photo shoot went viral, people were talking about other photo shoots that Balenciaga had done and how they were satanic. And Kim Kardashian is a big partner with Balenciaga. Yeah, influencer. And she has contracts with them. She promotes their stuff, so everybody was calling for Kim K to denounce these photo shoots, and she finally, over the weekend, came out saying, I'm working with a brand I'm disturbed to, but it sounds like this wasn't their intention. Balenciaga published a statement, said that they're going to do better. It's hard to do worse. And I've seen people say that like it was all just a PR stunt, and obviously it worked. That was going to be my question. So then I went down this rabbit hole the other day of looking at Balenciaga's past shoots. Oh, gosh. And they did one a couple months ago. Or it was Gucci. Gucci did one and it was of The Shining. And I watched pieces of The Shining was when I wasn't supposed to as a child. Like oh, it was on the TV and my mom was like, you should go to your room or something. I can't remember, but it's like flashes of it in my head. Yeah. And when I was doing all of my digging, I saw that there are theories that The Shining, not the book, but the movie remake of it was actually an allusion to child sexual abuse. Yeah, that's a theory about Stanley Kubrick in general is that he was tied into the elites of society and was trying to show people that that's what was really going on. And there's like a teddy bear scene in The Shining. And so then I was going down this rabbit hole about like how teddy bears are like this pedophile symbol. But have you seen pedo bear or pedo bear? Yeah, that was more popular when I was in probably junior high as a meme. Okay, but then I saw that Prince Andrew had a maid who had to learn how to organize his 76 teddy bears because he liked them in a particular way. And he went to Epstein's yeah. Island. And right. so there's this whole, someone called it Fashion Gate, this Balenciaga thing. One of the stylists for Balenciaga posts like some really heinous stuff on her Instagram page, children in distress and the sexualization yeah. of children, like like a lot. Yeah, I think you showed me some of those. They're like dressed as Satanists. A lot. And it was very popular on Twitter. So I'm sure many of you had already seen it. There's this common theme of people in fashion specifically tied to these brands that are into this stuff. And it made me think of a couple of past examples about this. Lil Nas. Lil Nas X. Yeah. He had those shoes. The Satan shoes with blood in them. the blood in them. And it was real human blood in them. And people were like, where did he get the blood? Was it like the kids in the Chinese factory? Cardi B, who has fashion nova and had a children clothing line from fashion nova and it got in trouble for promoting clothes that were like way too scandalous for young girls and they were like bodycon dresses do you know what bodycon is no you would like it if i wore it which oh. should be enough to say don't put your daughter in it fair it's like this spandex oh but a dress and yeah. it's like you see everything so cardi b was a stripper right yeah this is my shocked face So all of this got me thinking, people in high society are obviously different than you and me. They have more money. These people don't necessarily have kids, and if they have kids, they're not their priority. Like, I'm thinking about that stylist, the Balenciaga stylist who posts that stuff on Instagram. Hmm. She doesn't have children. Her day looks very different than our day. And so I think about how different we are, and I know that if those people we're listening to this conversation, how they would feel about us. Yeah. And it's funny because in a way it's ironic. We look at them with a degree of arrogance, like, oh, they're just sad, waspy, elites. Yeah. yeah, they're just sad, depressed. They really don't know what it is to struggle like me. You know, we sound like mm-hmm. boomers. Right. And then they look at us and they're like, oh, those sad, pathetic Poor. Wage slave, yeah. poor Midwestern. I came back to this scene from The Devil Wears Prada, and I want to play the audio clip really quick. Anne Hathaway, Meryl Streep, 
Anne Hathaway goes to work for this fashion magazine. She gets an assistant's job and she's bumping elbows with Meryl Streep, who is the editor-in-chief of this high-end fashion magazine. Supposed to be like Anna Wintour from Vogue. Wait, yeah. I don't know any of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Good job. But she goes into work and she's like laughing at these women and their values because she thinks, like you and I are talking about right now, that she's so much better than mm-hmm. them, but they think the same of her. And this scene, scene perfectly captures that dynamic and in this scene, they're getting ready for a photo shoot and they're trying to style a certain outfit. They're trying to pick a belt to go with this dress. One of the women holds up two belts and they're both turquoise and they look similar, but they have slightly different buckles. Here's what happens. Something funny. No, 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 nothing's, you know, it's just the both those belts look exactly the same to me, you know, I'm still learning about this stuff and uh <laughs> this stuff oh okay i see you think this has nothing to do with you you go to your closet and you select i don't know that lumpy blue sweater for instance because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue it's not Turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Pile of stuff. I could recite that in my sleep. That's so humbling, I guess is a good word. I started to think about that in the context of this. And I start to think about like, am I wearing a satanic t-shirt? <laughs> well, I mean, if we're talking about Balenciaga, we could talk about Kanye. You're wearing an Adidas shirt right now. All day I think about, or I all dream day about. I dream about sex. Yeah, so he showed them porn and then is saying it was a joke. But wasn't Adidas like a Greek god? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Do you want me to Google this? No, don't Google it. So I take it back to Cardi B, where she had that children's fashion line. We were watching a show and I saw a girl in a dress that had a, like a cutout in her midsection. She was only like four years old, three or four years old. And yeah. I see these little, little girls in like crop tops and yeah, things. Yeah. And then so I'm thinking, is this a cerulean sweater that was in the thrift store box from a pile of stuff that she's talking about in The Devil Wears Prada? Like, is this the slow drip? Is this the trickle-down economy of fashion? And how long is it until you and I are wearing secret Satan symbols or secret pedophilic symbols? Yeah, I've got, like, my bondage teddy bear jeans on. Right. Yeah. But, like, how long until you and I, just in our ignorance, go down to that Salvation Army that we like? And pick from a pile of stuff something that was influenced by these wackos. And I don't know if they're genuinely like Satan worshippers or if they're just so sad and desperate to be edgy that they're like just grasping for anything. Yeah. And so if we're using Occam's razor, the most likely explanation to me is that they just wanted some PR. Like, I didn't know what Balenciaga was or and now I do. maybe not even that. Maybe it's not even that organized. They're just so caught up in being bizarre that... This is the bizarre angle they went and just yeah. the winds of the internet, the algorithm decided to catch this one. But we can talk about the Supreme Court case now. And one of the images, the one that didn't have the young girls in it, there was just this bag that they're advertising and it's on a stack of papers. And one of the papers is the top of a Supreme Court case. And that case is United States v. Williams from 2008. Everyone was talking about how that Supreme Court case was about how child porn is legal or something. And it made me think, wait, what? Right. The case itself is about the f- an earlier case where Congress had tried to ban child porn, but they did it in such a way that the court overruled it as unconstitutional for saying that it was too broad and too vague. 
So instead of just banning child porn, it banned other things. Because some people might think that like a bathtub photo, right? even though there's like a little emoji over the private parts or a washcloth or something, that that's child porn. Exactly. Okay. In response to that court ruling, Congress came back in 2003 and said, okay, you're not allowed to... Just to be clear. To be clear. You are not allowed to go ask for child porn and you're not allowed to go promote the idea that you have it to give to someone okay so we're not going to ban child porn we're going to ban asking for it not even the transaction asking for it and offering it that's what we're banning this father michael williams is in a chat room and he starts chatting up someone who turns out to be an undercover cop and he says hey i hate it when that happens i've got lots of pictures cool pictures of toddlers do you want to trade Starts trading innocent pictures of kids with this cop. Then he says he has pictures of men abusing his daughter and offers them to the cop. And when the cop doesn't respond, he posts in the chat room, Hey, I have the real goods. I have the pictures we're looking for. And so under this new law, that counts as promoting child porn. And so he was convicted on that and some other things. How do you feel about death penalty for pedophiles? I'm fine with it. I mean, all of the... I struggle with this All one. the caveats with the death penalty yeah. apply here, too. But if you... Like, if he's caught in the act, I'm fine. Oh, yeah. Pop yeah. Him. I actually just read a story about... This was, like, in the 90s, I think. There was a woman who shot a man who had molested and killed her son in the courtroom as he was being convicted. She oh, like yeah. walked in in like a trench coat and just mm-hmm. pulled a pistol out of her pocket and shot him to death. So the Supreme Court case is a seven to two decision. So seven of the justices decided that the new law that Congress passed to outlaw child porn was okay. And the other two said, eh, we, th- now this we is- have some questions. Okay, but now this is often framed like like they are wackos for their position on the subject when there's like some legal nuance that they sure and that's fair that's exactly the question like people always try and say oh clarence thomas hates black people because he said this thing he's like about affirmative action yeah Yeah. but it's like well actually really it has detrimental effects for those exact people so david Souter and ruth bader ginsburg were the ones who dissented and i'm sorry who rbg notorious rbg and david Souter. The Republican appointee were the dissenters in this case. What and did it, RBG say? It was a pseudo opinion. She had joined. She joined his. His point was about virtual child porn versus like pictures of real kids, like animated. Yeah. And he was suggesting that that's okay. He didn't say okay, but not illegal. And Scalia's argument for the majority, saying that Congress's law was okay in 2008, it was very technical technologically infeasible because it would cost a lot of money to produce fake realistic images why was this even part of the discussion in the court case because it's illegal to have child porn where children are being exploited but if you can manufacture if you can manufacture it without harming a kid then it's not illegal what's not protected by the first amendment and is therefore open to being banned by congress is obscenity and so congress has defined child porn as obscene but not necessarily not necessarily virtual and that's where david Souter descended he was worried that that kind of thing would be caught so rbg likes child porn is what you're telling me (laughs) we would have to ask her not only does she want them all aborted but (laughs) she wants cartoon kids trafficked online some of the facts in these cases can make it hard to see the underlying legal principles. And it's hard for me to have sympathy for David Souter and RBG when they're saying, oh, we need to p- be very careful to preserve the free speech of people who want to draw kitty porn pictures. Right, when they're not like that otherwise. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially then. When they're not that mm, tedious with their... With their civil libertarianism, yeah. Right. Yeah. So why did Balenciaga included in the ad is it because it was a tacit endorsement of child porn at least in the dissent because scalia's majority opinion was still saying it was fine that's what the public's response has been and then there was another photo shoot that had 
a book in the background and inside that book there was a bunch of paintings pictured like bloody toddlers oh naked toddlers doing Gross. odd things like cannibalism and that. yeah i guess that's legal but bad which is something that antonin scalia the guy who wrote that opinion said a lot there's a lot of constitutional stuff that's stupid and he said his job would be a lot easier if he just had a stamp that said that and he could just stamp it on opinions the other thing that this whole balenciaga debacle makes me think about is well <laughs> porn <laughs> but like you talk about people with porn addictions and you get to a point where you can't watch weirder stuff like billy eilish talked about how when she was 11 or something she started watching porn oh my. and then by the time that she was 14 she was watching such abhorrent stuff that like it had changed her mind and then it forever changed the way that her brain worked oh. and that she's not sure that she can ever love in a really healthy way because of the damage that was done because of the stuff that she was watching online that's awful and i've heard that the age of first exposure to hardcore porn is getting younger and younger yeah and so i think about that in the context of this photo shoot like where do they go after this because if these people are so obsessed with just being like edgy and you know beyond what someone else before them has done where do you go after child bondage it's another one of these examples that reinforces my theory that Q is just like a government psyop. What else is it that Q believes? JFK is coming back. Trump oh. is going to be reinstated. I think those are the big ones. See, they they add some extra things in there to make it, you know, unrealistic. But there are some aspects of their doctrine that are true. So they don't want you to look at those parts. Like the frogs. Like the, the frogs. The gay frogs. Yeah. All right, we've come full circle, so we're going to wrap. Good call. Thanks for listening. We're singing all day, and you can't tame it. High tide, low tide, you.